knows it's December, right? Like, we're, are we officially in Christmas season now? Who, who's already doing their Christmas shopping? Yeah. Who's already finished with their Christmas shopping? <laughs> we don't like you guys. <laughs> and all the husbands in the room said, oh, yeah, I still need to shop. Uh, have y'all started? Uh, where's my husbands? Y'all started shopping yet? Have y'all at least started looking online or, like, asking your significant other what you need, what you need to buy? I, <laughs> this is where I messed up. Um, so Jen and I are going out of town for Christmas, and uh, I, I've been thinking the whole time, oh, I'm good. I have until, I have until December 24th to do all my shopping, because if you know my wife, she does not let a present uh, be open before the 25th. Well, here's the problem. This year, we're leaving town on the 20th, so we're doing Christmas on the 19th, so I feel like I'm shafted as a husband six days of shopping. Like, I... <laughs> I was like, I, I'm not dramatic, babe. That's fact. She's over here looking at Coley going, he's dramatic. No, I'm not. I don't know what it's like being a husband during Christmas season. Like, babe, give me a list for Christmas. And she sends me like a text message this long. I'm like, good Lord. Can you send some links with some of that stuff? Because she put one word on there. I didn't even know what it was. I had to Google it to figure out what it was. And I just realized I just can't spell. I was like, oh, that's how you spell that word. Man. I also learned something else. I learned that, uh, that it is okay to have more than one Christmas tree in your house. Like, did, did anybody, you have two trees. Anybody else have two or more trees in their house? Listen, I found this out on social media. Uh, Facebook told me that the Pinyas have six Christmas trees in their house. Like, I think they win the Christmas tree award for, for this year. Corey, I, was I told Corey this morning, I said, Corey, I'm, I'm, I'm shouting you guys out in, in the, uh, the sermon. He said, uh-oh, for what? I said, six trees. Next year, Lois, he said, next year, you got to have eight trees. Next year, there, there, there's eight. I think I just got myself in trouble. Now I got to go Christmas shopping and buy more, more, more trees. But we're gearing up for the next three weeks, and we're going to enter into the Christmas season. It's, it's 2020, and we're, we're already talking about Christmas. And, and when we talk about Christmas, uh, th there's something about the Christmas season. There's something about a baby, and there's something about birthing, and, and, and there's excitement when things are birthed. There's an excitement surrounding the family. Think about it in this context, even as a church, we're birthing a building. From the ground up, we're, we're watching it grow, and, and today at the end of our service, you already see the baskets Man, we're taking our, our kingdom builders offering, our first fruits offering. When you walked in, you, you saw in your seat, you had the blue envelope. Say, Pastor, what, what's the blue envelope for? The blue envelope is, is what we've been talking about. That's just that first fruit offering out of your two-year commitment to our building program. So you got those other commitment cards. And, and all you need to take note of is that bottom line. What is your two-year commitment above and beyond your tithe for that building project? But there's an excitement around birthing something. I remember bringing Piper home. I remember Jenna was holding Piper. And, and babe, correct me if I'm wrong. The person, I really don't remember this. It's just in my head. But the person that was pushing you, did they run you into a wall? They ran, they ran you into like a stanchion, right? Like they ran you into this. I couldn't remember what it was, but they were like Jenna was carrying Piper and they ran Jenna into like a wall. And I'm like, that's, like, that's my baby and my baby. Like, don't, don't, run them into, don't run them into a wall. There was an excitement about going home. I remember pulling the car up, and I'm thinking, uh, good Lord, I pray that I put the car seat in the right way. Like, but, but there was an excitement of, of carrying Piper Gray into the house and, and bringing her into 
the world. Uh, for those who don't know, I have another little girl on the way that's due in May. So, uh, hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Um, pray for me because now there's more girls in the house, more presents to buy for Christmas. But, but man, I think about I think about the excitement, and every time it seemed like hope was lost in Scripture, a baby was born. So, so let's think about it just for a second. When it seemed like Adam and Eve's sin had ruined everything. Abel was born. When the first murder came, Seth was born. When the morals of the world fell beyond repair, Noah was born. When God's people suffered 400 years of brutal slavery and oppression, Moses was born. When it seemed like everyone had bowed to compromise and culture, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were born. And when it looked like God's people would be destroyed by a wicked plot from insider politicians, Esther was born. And when it seemed like leadership was corrupt and and the anointing of God had left everyone, David was born. And, And when it looked like there was no common sense in the nation or no wisdom in the nation, Solomon was born. When, when babies are born, it, it brings hope. When a new generation is born, it brings hope. And when it looked like all hope was lost, like God had just completely gone silent and like the world was drifting further into apathy, there was a virgin that was carrying a baby. And, and the birth of that baby put Bethlehem on the map. See, I don't know if you guys remember the story, but the king of kings was born. The the Lord of lords was born. The alpha and the omega, the beginning of and the end. Jesus himself was born. And somebody needs to know today that hope is literally just one generation away. Listen, I don't care what our society is going through. I don't care what our culture is going through. What we need to recognize is hope is one generation away. Revival is always just one generation away. Why? Why do I know that? Because that's what I see in Scripture. Every time the earth grew dark, a baby was born and it brought hope. Jesus himself, remember Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, scripture says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall, shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, we read of this, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. So we have these contexts of Jesus. Now, I figure since it's uh, Christmas of 2020, and uh, 2020 brought us nothing that we expected, then I could do something a little different for our Christmas scripture. Now, it's still scripture, and it's still in the Bible, but our theme this year, our theme verse this year for Christmas is very simple. 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1, you say, Pastor, did you get that right? Like, like that, uh, that doesn't talk about, it doesn't talk about Jesus too much, but 2 Kings Chapter 22, verse 1 says this, And Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Church, it was no coincidence that we had the kids up here this morning. 
Church, it's, it's no coincidence that we say that hope is always one generation away. And if we're not careful, we brush past that and we say, oh, we'll give them their time when their time is due. But the reality of it is we are the full church, all generations. Let me tee this up for you. What does it mean to be the Josiah generation? If I talk about the lineage of Josiah a little bit, it blows your mind. And I won't get into it too much because I know Amanda's preaching with me today uh, and she's talking a little bit uh, about the lineage. So let me just, let me tee her up. Manasseh in 2 Kings 21 verse 16, scripture says this about Manasseh, who would have been Josiah's grandfather. He shed so much blood it covered Jerusalem for end to end. Manasseh shed so much blood in Jerusalem that it covered it from end to end. Probably wasn't a good guy, right? Probably wasn't the best person to hang out with on the weekend. Well, well, pastor, what about, what about Josiah's dad? Like, like he had to have some type of individual that showed him the right way to grow up. Well, 2 Kings twenty two nineteen 19 says this about Josiah's dad, Amon. He did just as, as his father had done. So you have Manasseh who shed blood from end to end in Jerusalem and Amon did the same thing. And then you have Josiah. And I need to tell someone today that your past isn't your future. You say something along the lines of, Pastor, you don't know what my upbringing showed me. I, I don't, but neither did Josiah. Listen, jo- Josiah had to recognize early on that regardless of what his lineage was, he decided to make a difference and make a change. Say, Pastor, well, you don't, you don't know what I went through. I absolutely don't. Well, Pastor, you don't know who I used to be. And, and this is what I think. We have the propensity to default to the past because that gives us an excuse not to step into the future. Listen, when we look back on our past and we say, well, Pastor, you don't know where I came from. Pastor, you don't know what I went through. You don't know what's been done to me. What we do is we use the past as a crutch and we use that as as an excuse to not step into our future. I think we use the past as a crutch because we don't believe who God has actually called us to be. And we would rather rather stay next to our past because for some reason or another, we're scared to step into who God has called us to be. We say things to ourselves like, oh man, I don't want to get too close to that because if I get too close to my calling, then, then something in my past might be brought up. And if people know about my past, if they know about the skeletons in my closet, if they know who I used to be, then, then God could never use me. So if I just stay a couple steps away from my calling, if I just tiptoe into my calling, then no one will ever know about my past. Because if they fully know about my past, then I can't fully step into my calling. And I want to tell you today, church, that's not the way that it works. God uses us despite our past. God uses us despite what we grew up in. God has called you who he's called you to be. We use our past as a scapegoat. Let let me give you some more tough love. When we don't step fully into our calling, I would actually suggest this, that we're just being selfish. Why? Because you could be keeping someone else from discovering their calling. When we don't step fully into our calling, we actually think we know better than God. We actually say something like, no, nah, I could never do that. God, you got it wrong. No, 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 no. I, 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 could, I could never be a part of a worship team. God, you, you, got it, 
You got it wrong. No, 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 God, I could never serve in a, in a kid's ministry. You, you, you got it wrong. No, no, God, I could never serve out in our community. You got it wrong. No, no, God, I could never be a world changer at this church. You, you got it wrong because if I start to serve, then people will really see the real me. No, pastor, you, no, you, pastor, you don't, you just don't know. You, you don't know. Well, man, those are conversations that I've had with myself. No, God, you got it. You got it wrong. When we planted the church, no, God, I'm, I'm only 27, God. There, there's no way, there's no way people will come to this church. God, God, do you know my upbringing? Do you know what I went through? Do you know my family situation? God, there is no way that you could use me as a pastor. We let our past determine our future instead of letting God determine our future. So today is the day that we call forth the Josiah generation. So pastor, what is, what is the Josiah generation? The Josiah generation will lead a generation who comes back to church. Verse six says this, and let them repair the house. See, Josiah's first act was to repair the temple. Regardless of what his grandfather did, regardless of the bloodshed, regardless of what his pops did, he decided to rebuild the temple. When a nation was in ruins, Josiah realized the first step in bringing the people back to corporate worship was to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the church. What is the importance of the church? What is the importance of the corporate body for our context of meeting on a Sunday morning and worshiping together? See, people say our generation is leaving the church, and, and I would say that we will be a generation that leads people back to the church. See, I can actually run this in two different areas. I can run this in, a, in the context of a literal generation. I think there is an anointing on the younger generation that's to come that will lead the church back to corporate worship. Pastor, why do you say that? I think it was a representation this morning. We had our kids leading us in worship. And you say, wait a second. Don't you know that the younger generation doesn't have much hope? Ha haven't you... Haven't you seen them on social media? Let me read this recent article to you by Amanda Regary. She wrote about the next generation. And she said things like this. And maybe, maybe you've even thought this about the younger generation. She wrote, they think they know best. Y'all can laugh at that one. How many grandparents in the room have said something like, yeah, y'all think y'all know better. But they're also too cautious, and yet they're too confident. Their expectations are too high. They really just complain too much. They spend way too much money, which is bad, and they want to live in their adolescence forever. Modern technology has made them useless at decision-making. It's also made them self-absorbed. They're actually ruin, ruining religion and the written word. Have you heard some of the slangs that they've come up with? Really, it's the fault of the parents. And they are unlike anything that we have ever seen before. And maybe you're sitting in the room and in some form or fashion, you've said that about the younger generation, but here's the context. The author actually pulls this research in over a span of centuries and she writes this, but here's the kicker. Older people love to gripe about the entitled lazy generation, but it's nothing new. 
by delving into the archives, we found plenty of parallels stretching back 2,000 years. So at some point, regardless of the age in the room, regardless of what generation you find yourself in, regardless of how seasoned you are, someone has always called you lazy. At some point in your life, someone called you lazy. They called you an overspender. They called you too young. The list goes on and on and on. I don't care what generation you find yourself in. This has been spanning across centuries. And if we're not careful, we speak out of both sides of our mouth. We say things like this. This generation is going to change the world, but you're too lazy. We say things like this generation is so creative, but they're always on technology. This generation is going to you fill in the blank and then we have some type of follow-up that completely refutes what we just said about who they're going to be. So let's take a look at scripture. Remember, Josiah was eight. Josiah was eight years old. I don't even know that the average age of our kids up here this morning was eight. It might have been. The average might have been seven. The median might have been seven. I mean, we were, we were right. We were right. We were right there. I told you earlier that Amanda is going to be preaching with me. The girl's in college. She hasn't, she hasn't arrived yet. She hasn't stepped out into the world, as her parents would say. Like, you don't know. You're just in, you're just in not that your parents say that, but, you, but what parents would say, not her parents. I'm already like, I'm already putting like those, those sayings in my back pocket. Well, you're back in my day. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you just wait until you get out into the, like, you know what I mean? But, but Amanda's in college, and she's about to preach the house down. Ethan is seven years old, and he's already raised money for our building banquet. You know what I, I love about youthfulness is there's a sense of boldness. There's a sense of I can do this attitude. There's this sense of why, why not. There's energy, and, and there's charisma. You guys ever seen... You guys ever seen Bryson run around Sunday after church? I, I told Jessica this yesterday. He's not in here, right? He's not in here. All right, so I can say it. I said, <laughs> well, because this is the way I teed it up. I said, I said, Jessica, Bryson's like a little ant. And I don't mean that in like he's a little ant. I mean it as in the Joker carries like 10 times his body weight. Have you ever seen him like walk? He's like, excuse me. Excuse me. He gets outside. He's like, oh. What else can I get? <laughs> he's like, he's like off to, he's off to get some, something else. There's this, I can do this type of attitude. What if seasoned generations started to call out life-giving attributes instead of destiny-killing attributes? I read a research article a few months back. It said something along these lines, that the next generation only lives up to what the present generation calls them to be. So when we say things like, oh, they're just lazy, oh, they're just conceited, oh, they're just consumed with this, that, and the other, they're going to live up to what you call them to be. What if, what if we started giving life-giving attributes? What if we do actually start saying, no, you can change the world? No, 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 what, what your passions are can change the world. What if we flip the script? What if Lake Norman could be a place where we call out destiny? What if we were the Josiah generation for what churches could be in the future? You know, I, I told you I could run it in two different 
parallels. I think there is a literal Josiah generation, a younger generation. But I also think we as a church plant are still in that Josiah generation incubator. Say, Pastor, what, what do you mean? You guys have seen the building. You see what we're, what we're putting up, right? You see, you, see how, you see how we're doing church. It's different. What if we were a generation of church that was just a little different? Church, let's be in the business of calling out life-giving attributes instead of destiny-killing attributes. Y'all, thank God. Thank God I didn't use my past as a crutch because I would not be up here if I did. I don't know what I'm doing up here, but it's it's the spirit, guys. It really is. <laughs> so point two, let's go to verse eight. And Hokiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hokiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hokiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. So I want to look into a little bit of how Judah, the kingdom, got to this point of destruction where the word of God had to be found amongst the people of God. So we talked about uh, Josiah's father, Ammon, who was a wicked, wicked king. He did everything in his power to bury the ways of God under Judah's soil. He erected uh, places of worship and temples to other idols and gods. And his king, and his father Manasseh, or yeah, his father Manasseh was worse. He's recorded as one of the most wicked kings of Judah. And thank God at the end of his life, Manasseh repented and the Lord forgave him. But he reigned 55 years horribly and raising his son in this way so you can't expect Ammon to be any any better so I, as I was reading this and trying to figure out what the pattern is here I recognize that children are simply an amplification of their parents um, so I was I was home a couple weeks ago for Thanksgiving and every time I say something like pronounce something weirdly or a bad habit of mine comes up um, and my mom points it out I like to say well, look who raised me, and it never ends well for me, <laughs> but it's fun, because, like, my mom realizes, oh, yeah, I did teach you that, and, like, it's true, though, because, like, parents, you spend the, mo the majority of your time with your kids, and, like, especially now, when schools are all online, your kids are just home all the time, your kids are completely shaped and formed by you, their philosophies, how they think, how they treat others, how they talk, how they love, it's all formed by you. And Josiah had every reason to do the same as his father, Ammon, and as his grandfather, Manasseh. But thank God, God is in the business of breaking cycles, right? And so when Josiah recognized that he wasn't simply the son of King Ammon, the wicked king, he's a son of God, he began to amplify the character of God. And he began to pull Judah back into relationship with God. Parents do their best, but they're imperfect. My parents did their best to raise me, and I'm so grateful for them. But again, like I said, if I had stayed where I was, if I had used my past as a crutch, I would not be here. I couldn't be. But I recognize that I'm not just the daughter of Michael and Anna Torres. I'm a daughter of God, creator of the universe, king of kings and lord of lords. And we all are. We have to raise our children in that way because that's what the world needs. 
They don't need another Amanda. They don't need another Paul or Zach. They need another son and daughter of God, a, repl a replication of Jesus' character. So how do we get to know God enough to amplify his character? Point two, we will lead a generation that returns to believing and obeying God's word. Verse 14, so Hokiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. And they talked with her and she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. King Josiah wouldn't have heard the voice of God for him if he had not first heard the word of God. The, the finding of the book of the law that Shaphan brought and read to him was what drove him to inquire about this book, what drove him to send people to the prophetess to, to understand the words of God, his father. Without that, he never would have heard these words, and he never would have been able to continue to rebuild Judah in the, in the way that God had originally intended it to be. Knowing the word of God is how we are able to identify the voice of our father. God speaks most clearly and directly through the words and the pages of the Bible. There's no questioning about what he's saying when you're reading it in front of you. Sometimes it's hard to recognize the voice of God. Like we, we have this, this sense, this feeling inside of us that we're just like, oh, maybe I should go talk to that person. And we wrestle with ourselves. The Bible, you, don't, you can't wrestle with it. It's right there. It's in front of your face. You, it's obvious. The word of God reveals God's character. In this story alone, we both see the wrath and the grace of God. We see his love and his righteousness. We see the restorative power that he used for Josiah to lead the kingdom back to him. So how do we become people who amplify the character of God, who raise people who amplify the character of God in this world? We know his word because when we know the word of our father, we know our father. And knowing the word is what brought Judah back to life. Let's give it up for Amanda. Listen, that girl, that girl can absolutely, she can preach. This is how I know she can preach. It's like verse 13 and 14, she started rattling off all those names. And I was like, the who and the what? Hey, you can't go anywhere. You got to stay here. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But you got to stay here. You can go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'll be I know. About to, about to call you out in a second. So I need you to stay here. Verse 3. We will lead a generation of revival. Verse 3 says this, the king took his place of authority beside the pillar and the renewed and renewed the covenant of the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands and his laws and his decrees with all of his heart and with all of his soul. In this way he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll and all the people, all the people, not just Josiah, all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. All the generations. Not, not, just, the, not just the guys and the, and the ladies that had it figured out. It was all the generations. It's because of students like Amanda. It's because of students like Eric and, and Gary and Mary. And, and it's because of students like Darius and, and Sean and, and Rachel. All, all the generations mentioned it earlier, what about, what about people like Bryson? What about Seth? What about Gabe? What about Ellie? What about Piper? What about Maddie? All the generations. What about Mac? It's all the generations. 
It's every single generation that's a part of this church. You know, you know what I love about kids? What I love about kids is they will welcome anyone and everyone in right away. I didn't get to see Piper this morning uh, like I usually do when she walks in. So, so literally two minutes before service, two minutes before service. Like, I got to go see my girl. I got to go, got to go give her a hug, go give her a kiss. And, and I walked in and, and I kind of crept in, to be honest with you, kind of peeking around the corner because I love, I love watching kids. And what I saw, what I saw was Piper sitting at a table eating a biscuit, and she's always trying to give some away, <laughs> trying to feed every kid in there. But I saw, I saw Indy. I saw her just playing with other kids, and, and kids just accept kids. They, they just bring them, they just bring them in. I think there's a lot of things that we can actually learn from a younger generation. It's about kids like Bryson and the other ones that I mentioned, people like him that are laying the foundation for what Multiply Lake Norman can become. But it's also us as a collective. Listen, we're only, we're only three years old and we're leading a different type of revival in this area. We're doing church a little different. Think, think about our building. Had three conversations this week and they said, you know what? You know what excites me most about us building a building? Three conversations that we're doing it different. It's a building that's going to be used Monday through Sunday, seven days a week. At all awkward times of the day, we're going to have a coffee shop in there. We're going to have a gym in there. The facility is going to be open. Why? Because we want to meet people where they are. We want to do it just a little different. And sure, we, we have a coffee shop and a gym and the outreach facility, but it's different. We're also doing our very best to actually be the body of Christ. See, we want everyone that's a part of our church or that walks through the door for the first time to be valued, loved, and respected. Again, we can learn that just by walking in the nursery alone. We want people to feel appreciated and heard. We're not afraid to have hard conversations. Why? Because those are the very conversations that challenge us to grow. What else? What else is God asking us to do? Let's think of some practicals. Because if, if we're not careful, we wrap ourselves up in the spiritual, which is great. But, but remember, there's Matthew 28 and there's Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is what are we doing about it? What are we actually doing? Maybe someone in this room will start a mom's group. Maybe someone in this room will partner with Pastor Paul to reach the college. Maybe someone in this room will help keep people plugged in and engaged. What if God is placing something on your heart? Emotions on your heart, allowing you to walk through circumstances for you to be the solution to what this church body actually needs. Part of leading revival is being equipped to lead revival. And I think we do a good job at the spiritual. We teach people to pray, right? We teach people to get into their word. We teach people to fast. We teach people to have a relationship with God. But, but what about the practicals? What about the practicals? We tell people to go and, and to serve, but sometimes it's hard for them to go. Sometimes it's hard for them to actually get to where they need 
to serve, to lead the next generation of revival, we must properly equip the next generation. Listen, Amanda, Amanda just preached. And, and you guys don't know this about Amanda, and Amanda had no idea that this was happening. But one of Amanda's biggest challenges right now is that she doesn't have her license. And, and here, here's an even greater challenge. The DMV's been closed, and you have to have a, 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 you have to schedule a meeting to go. But they're not doing driving school right now. You you can't go get your license unless you wait like eight nine months down the road. We do a good job at spiritually equipping people, but how do we practically equip people? Well, Amanda, if you would make your way back up here. Why? Because there's, there's, a calling, there's a calling on your life. Listen, there, there's a calling of a Josiah generation on your life. You're going to lead the next generation. You're already leading the next generation. And one of the biggest challenges that you have is getting from point A to point B. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you even have a car, right? Like you have a car, but you can't drive it because you don't have a license. Well, starting tomorrow... Uh, we've already worked it out with your employers. They're going to give you time off. By the way, they're going to pay you for that time. Uh, but you start your driving school tomorrow at 9 a.m. So there's your, there's your driving school. So Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you are able to go get your license. So can we give it up for Amanda one more time? Listen, why, why do we... Man, why do we do stuff like this? It's because we actually want to be the church. It's because we actually want to put our words and our hands to action. We don't just talk about it. We're going to be about it. So, so church, Zach, Zach didn't give her a driving school. Girl, where are you going? Where are you going? You can't. Zach didn't give her a driving school. This church gave her the driving school. Why? Because this church sees her calling. This church sees who she's going to be, not just who she is. So can we give it up for Amanda one more time? Don't get emotional. We're not done yet. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to myself. What What does it look like for us to lead the way? I want to help I want to let Ethan uh, help me help me out with that. I've been selling slushies for $20, and I've been making a rainbow pop, and then that's like all the ones mixed, and then I'm making a, like an oranges one and then an apple juice one because I want to raise money for the building. You say, what, what, does, that even, what does that even mean? Listen, before we even had our our building banquet, listen, Ethan was raising money for our building before we even announced it to the church. Like, you talk about a hustler. He was selling slushies for 20 bucks. Like, he was, it wasn't like no $2, like, give me a quarter for some lemonade. It was 20 bucks for a slushie. And man, within, I, I don't know what, within 48 hours, 72 hours, you raised, you raised 200 dollars $200 selling some slushies now I see my entrepreneurs in the room you're like can we get a kid to sell some slushies on the side for for 20 for 20 bucks 
of Pop. Ethan, I'm going to have you stand right here. He sold some slushies. So I've asked him to come up front. And I've asked him to bring his envelope. We're going to ask him a, a few questions. Ethan, what type of slushies did you make? Juice and orange. And the orange one. Do you do you remember your bestseller? The rainbow. Paul, which one did you get? Apple juice. Apple juice? I think Delicious. the apple juice one. Was the apple juice your favorite? Or did you like the rainbow pop? Rainbow pop. The rainbow pop? Yeah, th- those were those were those were pretty good. One million dollars. Make one for one for how much? One million dollars. He's making one for a million dollars. Any buyers? <laughs> I did not tell him to say that, but we'll sell it right now. I'll do my best auctioneer impersonation. <laughs> Make three of them. But, but why, did I, why did I bring him up here? Because I truly believe what the Bible says. I truly believe in bringing in all the generations. So this is what I've asked. This is what I've asked Ethan to do. I've asked Ethan to be the first envelope in the basket to lay the foundation for what we're doing as a church. So Ethan, if you would follow Miss Amanda and place that envelope. Listen, I don't know about y'all, but like that's something to get excited about. To get excited about someone that's seven years old who raised $200 for a building project. You say, Pastor, Pastor, isn't, isn't he a little young? No, because I'm not talking to who he is now. I'm talking to who he's going to be. Because there's going to be a season that he looks back on this moment and goes, God, you really called me to do that? God, God, I can can do something like that even when I'm a kid. What happens when he looks back when he's 27, when he's 37, when he's 47? It says, God, you used me as a kid. God, you, you used me. Will you continue? Will you continue to use me? Church, I'm not just speaking to us as to who we are but I'm also speaking to who we're going to become. I'm not just speaking to who we are in this room right now, but the Josiah generation. We're we're doing church planting a little differently. So you have the blue envelopes. And again, the blue envelopes is your, your first fruit. What are you giving? What's that first gift to the building? You have the commitment cards. Again, that bottom line, that's just your two year commitment above and beyond your tithe and offering. But we're gonna lead the way. We're going to be a new generation. So as we step into a time of worship, we have the baskets up front. Fill those cards out, walk up. Even if you've already given, you can still place those envelopes in the basket. But as we step into this moment of worship, I want each family or person here to say a prayer over your gift, over your first fruit offering. And church, I want to charge us to be the Josiah generation. See, our church staff is already committed to already giving 100%. All of of our staff is already given. And what we're asking for you to do is lead with us as we prepare to be the Josiah generation.